Welcome to the Archives of Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Are you jealous? Have you ever been jealous? Do you know the origin of your jealousy? Though jealousy often comes hand in hand with feelings of love, where does this emotion come from? How can we manage it? In this archive edition of Radio Curious, we visit with Dr. Marcianne Blevis, author of Jealousy, True Stories of Love's Favorite Decoy. In her 2006 book, Dr. Marcianne Blevis, a psychiatrist and psychoanalyst who lives and works in Paris, France, reveals the way jealousy affects people and suggests methods to understand and manage what can be a very destructive yet elusive emotion. She examines the deeper consequences of jealousy, inquires if jealousy is useful to us, and if this extraordinary passion, in reality, is a strategy for survival. Her book was originally written in French and translated to English in 2008. I spoke with Dr. Marcianne Blevis from her home in Paris, France, on February 2nd, 2009 and began by asking her to explain what jealousy is. Well, that's a good question, and I would say that jealousy is a painful state of mind, which also causes a tremendous anxiety arising when we suspect we have a rival in, in any matter, in love affairs or in work or at work or anywhere. And I would just add that the rival usually exists more in our mind than in, than in the real world. What is the background or, or the cause of the rival? How does it develop in our mind? It's something that comes from, from very far because, uh, in a way, you know, jealousy is a necessary part of growing up. That's what I try to, to explain. And uh, because uh, what we need to remember is that personal identity has a lot to do with, with the way our parents, our teachers, our friends see, see us. And we build our sense of self through the love, respect we get from people closest to us, but also built, we built our identity through the disappointments which, we have, which have marked our lives. You know, we learn through them what are our limits, and what we can expect from others. At the same time, uh, as we discover our strengths and, our, and, weakness, and weaknesses, so we discover all that, and jealousy is a necessary part of growing up. So within the growing up uh, cycle of, of the human species, some children have um, affectionate parents who pay attention to them, and other children may not have both parents in their life, or one of those parents can have a, a drug or alcohol addiction or just uh, not be present for the child. Yes, but even if they are very nice and very, and very there, when we grow up, there is always a time when we feel displaced by someone else and we react by feeling jealous the birth of a brother or a sister, or our parents busy with other things than us, you know, or a student more successful than us, etc., etc. Each disappointment can be marked when you are, you are young by jealousy. 
All these times where we felt disappointed was marked by jealousy, which is a sign that we construct a rival that holds the magic answer to what we wish we were. And we become obsessed with it, and we forget all about who we are. That's why it's an identity crisis. And we don't realize anymore uh, why we could be loved and respected for what we have achieved in our lives. And this is where a psychoanalysis can help, as I am. We're talking about the construct in the mind of the jealous person of the rival that, that is either presently there with their lover, for example, or is imagined to be there. Yes. For example, in the, in the love affairs, often jealousy points to our own confusion about what it means to be a man or a woman. And this is why the rival feels so important. We think they hold the answers for us of what, of what it means to be feminine or masculine. But the rival does not know any more than we do. And to figure out what it means to be a man or a woman is to accept that nobody has the answer. We are made of many contradictions, and it's hard to accept that. And, uh, well, we prefer to blame the rival than, rather than to accept what we don't know. Let's talk about the confusion of what it means to be a man or a woman. And I want to ask you a cross-cultural question. Your training in psychoanalysis and in psychiatry uh, was done in France, and this program is being broadcast primarily in the United States. So my question is, do you find in your experience a difference between approaches of what it means to be a man or a woman based on your experience with people of French background and your experience with people of North American background? Well, let's, uh, let's talk a little, perhaps, the background of what it means to be a man or a woman and why the rival in, is in that matter feels so, is, is so important. Well, as I just said, we think they hold the answers for us of what it means to be feminine or masculine. And uh, this is the heart of our personal identity, being feminine or masculine. So jealousy points to our, our inability to fully grasp how we can enjoy our femininity or masculinity. And we often confuse femininity with ideals of beauty and behavior that society imposes on us. In fact, to feel feminine or masculine means rather to be comfortable in one's skin, to accept our vulnerabilities and capitalize on on our strengths. And it comes uh, within, not from an image provided by the outside world, And I come to the last point you just uh, point out. Uh, Because when we are jealous, we think that the perfect image of masculinity or femininity exists outside of us, in the image of the rival. But our rival does not know any more than we do. And everyone has to figure out for themselves what it means to be a man or a woman. And jealousy helps us to discover areas in ourselves that we have not paid sufficient attention to. That's the very point of my book. So your question about men, women, uh, France, or United States is, is included in that because I would say that jealousy is the same all over the world and all over men or women. But, but, the way... Jealousy can be expressed 
is really taken like a hostage by the way certain cultures look to that, uh, to that point. And if you let me just go a bit further, I will try to show how in certain cultures, and in ours, or in France, or in the United States, what is the, the cultural area in which we, we belong. You can imagine that certain cultures and certain religions don't even tolerate the existence of jealousy. For example, the uh, Muslim fundamentalism. So uh, the risk of appearing jealous in this society is so horrible that in a, such an insult to man's honor that jealousy has no right even to appear. But Western societies, if they are still organized under the patriarchal mode, have a less violent reaction to jealousy. But the fear of being ridiculed is still prominent. So is that fear the same in France or in the United States? I do feel that it is rather the same because it has to do with the impossibility of confronting jealousy as a drama that is a normal part of life. And it still dominates. Men are forbidden to appear jealous. And in France, it's, it is a, a bit like that. Otherwise, they are not real men. They appear, they appear ridiculous and unfit. And jealousy in, more, in women in France in the 19th century, it was like that, is more acceptable because in these societies, women appear weaker than men, and jealousy is an expression of weakness, looked like that. And where I, I see that in the 20th century and the 21st century, we are almost, uh, we go along, perhaps the United States are, are even ahead of uh, the equality between men and women. But what I can say that the more the society uh, sees and, and uh, that women and men are seen as equal, well, jealousy is equally seen as not acceptable for, for both sexes. And that is very strange, because even if uh, men and women are seen as equal, jealousy is still something that is bad, looked like it's bad. There is no society that I know that sees jealousy under a positive light in France or in the United States or in North America. And it's exactly what I am trying to do, however, with my book, to show that jealousy is a normal effect when we are confronted with new situations and that we should learn to understand its origin rather than blame oneself or others when jealousy appears. Jealousy can often be drawn to sexual or flirtatious relationships between men and women. So if we were to move to uh, Africa, for instance, where in some societies it's very common for a man to have many wives, how does yes, jealousy yes. fit in in those circumstances? You, 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 you're asking me if jealousy is if you can find jealousy in this circumstance? Well, I'm, a, I'm sure that we can find it, but I'm asking, oh, you, absolutely. I'm, I'm asking you if there are different understandings of jealousy or different expectations on the part of the person, he or she, who is either comfortable or uncomfortable in his or her skin. Well, I think you, you find, of course, jealousies. You find jealousies everywhere because it, it's, it confronts us to uh, the way we fit or not, and we can never fit completely 
to what is expected, hopefully, hopefully, because the way you build your identity has to do with your, something which is really true in yourself. So it's, it's always something changing and life challenges everywhere, everywhere in every society. But, uh, of course, the way uh, you can express that identity crisis may change, may be uh, completely uh, different in Africa, for example. So even if a man has a lot of wives, it has nothing to do with the way he, he, he will be able to express or not his jealousy. Perhaps he will not express it in love affairs, but he will express it somewhere else. But it's, it's the same deep point on which jealousy can teach us is, um, I am sure, all over the world the same. What role does jealousy serve in our human relationships? Jealousy serves uh, to point us, to point to us that we are uh, being displaced from an, an image of ourselves on which we depend on. So that image of ourselves is always... Uh, challenged by reality, by time, by all, all the reality that, that is around us, challenges that image. And we feel displaced all the time. We have to displace ourselves. We have to, 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 to move on. And, and we don't like that. It's, it's, a, it's, a, it's, a, it's a permanent challenge to move on, to go on, to build our identity. is not something done forever. It's always on the, on the move. On, how do you say? You go on like that. Never, it's never stable. So at any moment, you are challenged uh, by uh, reality just to move. And you are challenged to be, and you feel displaced, and you feel uh, not, uh, dismissed. At this very moment, you feel dismissed. So you need for new recognition. And at this very moment, you are fragile, and you think that easily, that not to move, uh, you feel that somebody else has the answer, that somebody else is better than you, that, and you deprive yourself from your own strength in being jealous. But you have to get back to yourself, ask yourself, well, what, what am I doing? What is happening to me? Well, I have to move from that place to another. So what does it mean? Can't, can't I, or do I have the, the, the strength to do that? In this edition of Radio Curious, we're visiting with Marcian Blevis from her home in Paris, France. She's the author of Jealousy, True Stories of Love's Favorite Decoy. You're listening to Radio Curious. I'm Barry Vogel. Let me ask you then about the difficulty of living with uncertainty, as, as you describe it in your book, yes. Jealousy, and which might be described as the ability of some people to live with ambiguity. Exactly. To not have a specific answer. Do you find that people who are less jealous in their uh, routine or or people who are less jealous in their life are more able to live with uncertainty and ambiguity, or are those unrelated areas? Absolutely. You know, uh, the jealous person divides very easily uh, the world uh, between the rival and himself, who, who, is, uh, who has all these magical attributes that he lacks and so on. So life is very rigid. And the more you can understand that uh, everybody has his fragility and yourself, you have, 
you are vulnerable and everything, but you just have to deal with that and that everybody is like that, dealing with the same, and that you can, you know, confront yourself with all that. The less you leave jealousy gives you the wrong uh, answer for that very good and important question, which is your identity and your 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 building your identity every every minute. So you're saying that jealousy is actually a genetic component uh, that is evolved in our human evolution. I would say so. I would say so. In, its, in, in a way, it's a survival mechanism that uh, makes us aware of something painful. Okay, so if we talk about people who are more able to live with ambiguity and, and uncertainty as every day brings something new, yes. you're saying part of our genetic component, which is altered on a daily basis by our past experience, yes. and some people are more sensitive to that alteration. You, in some cases, describe jealousy as an addiction. Some people thrive on it. Yes. How does that fit into your interpretation? Maybe you could answer it so that if someone has reoccurring pangs of jealousy, what they might do. Well, there are a lot of questions in, in one, but I would say it's a survival mechanism because pain is better than to be defeated than to be without strength. A pain, in a way, pushes you, gives you the impulse that perhaps you get mistake, you just um, waste your impulse by being jealous. But is an impulse. It is so it's a strength, a potential strength, if you decide that you, ha you, don't, you don't waste it in, uh, being in, uh, in, in being in such a pain or, or building that rival. And you can use that strength, and which is much better, for example, than to feel nothing, to feel defeated, to feel weak, and without, uh, without any, any, any means to, to fight. So for that, it's, it's useful. But it has also a destructive side, and that destructive side may, may, be, may be spoken by, I am, as I, one of my patients used to say, I am addicted to jealousy. Of course, she was suffering a lot. It was a tremendous pain. But this tremendous pain protected her, her from something even worse that she had to confront one, once, uh, once upon a time, that she had to, to go back to that inner, inner turmoil and inner sadness uh, towards which her, her, her being addicted to, to jealousy, her jealousy was uh, something better than the, the inner sadness that uh, she had inside herself. So it was better than that, sad, that sadness, but it was also a waste of energy and, a, and an awfully painful uh, way to save herself from that really uh, depressive area she had in her inner world. So I could help her by showing her that there were other ways to feel alive than to be addicted to jealousy. Do you find in your experience that uh, some people don't realize the extent to which they are either jealous or jealousy of which they may be aware is controlling uh, their life and their behavior in destructive ways? 
Well, uh, you know that it's the very point and the limit of the, 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 the jealous person. When a jealous person starts come starts to think of him, of himself or of herself the same. I'm, I'm talking about the jealous person. It can be a man or a woman. Or, uh, and uh, when he starts to think that, oh, my God, I am being jealous. I'm, I'm destroying my first relationship and then the second one and then the third one the same way. I, something is, perhaps something is wrong with me. So it's the first step. When a jealous person can not be completely fooled by his own, his or her own jealousy and think that there is something he's, which is painful, which is not the other one, only the other one, the one he loves, who is betraying uh, him or her, uh, when he starts to think that perhaps the, it's a final, it speaks the truth, but not the truth he thinks, he or she thinks it is, then it's the first step. But while, uh, until that first step starts, a lot of persons waste, they, uh, waste their, their lives like that and waste their time and, and, and even somebody else's time because it's also very painful for the one who is, um, who is loved by a jealous person. It's very painful to live and to put up with that uh, destructivity and, and anxiety that uh, wants to hold on for, uh, of the other person. So you're saying that, perhaps in, in other words, yes. that the perception of the person who is jealous uh, may be entirely different uh, from the person who is acting in a way that manifests the jealousy in the, other, in the observer, the jealous person. Absolutely. Absolutely. And that is exactly the very difficult point when somebody can do that. You know, if somebody, somebody is not at all aware of his pain and he thinks uh, that it's in the reality that he's been betrayed and uh, that his, his suspects uh, arrival, that he will come the, here and there, and he, he, he spends uh, his, all, his whole time, you know, uh, uh, looking. For example, I knew someone who, who had a patient who, I had a patient who spent her time looking in her lover's drawers, checking his messages, etc., hoping to find a sign of something that the rival had and she didn't. Well, you know, the, the more she looked, the less she find. And this does not mean that we are wrong to feel the pain of jealousy. The problem is that we are looking in the wrong places. And the first step, a jealous person has to just uh, go to herself and uh, to look inside herself. So jealousy is a signal of something, but not a sign that we are being betrayed for sure. And so we have to go back to ourselves, and that's the first step. Marcian Blevis. Uh, author of Jealousy, True Stories of Love's Favorite Decoy. I want to thank you for being with us on Radio Curious. And before we close, can you tell us about an interesting concept or idea or event that, that you've found recently? Well, I'll just say something about myself. You know, when you are a psychoanalyst, you never end your analysis. You're, you're just keep on thinking and thinking. And what, 
what came to my mind when thinking to my life and what, you know, had led me to be, become a psychoanalyst is that uh, I could have lived during my life a lot of traumatic events, and sometimes one traumatic event helps the former traumatic events. That it's not, you know, you're not always a victim or of a series of traumatic events because you have that strength in yourself that is always, uh, always there, and you can use uh, something which can, which can seem to be really awful to an observer, which will be very far from you, and you can use something awful just to perhaps help yourself from something else, and, and from something else, another traumatic event, which had been in a previous time coming. And, you know, it's, it's, mind is very complicated, very paradoxically, uh, very paradoxical, and the, the, the strength of life that you have inside, that anyone has inside himself, it can take very, very strange ways to express and to use the reality for yourself, for strength, and not for being a victim, a passive victim. What prompted you to become a psychoanalyst? Oh, well, that's a, a huge question, I think, because I, I became very early the, psycho, the psychotherapist of my, my father and mother. So I, I had to go on to do it a real job. And can you tell us, uh, Marciam Blavis, about an interesting book that you've read lately? Well, I read a book... Uh, about a marvelous uh, French psychoanalyst whose name is Michel de Muson, and uh, his name, his his book is about uh, identity. And I would really be glad if you could have it in English because it's, it, in French it's au confin de l'identité, which means at the frontier of identity. And it talks marvelously about all these problems and all the way uh, you can speak with yourself and be a, built in, in your inner world a friend with yourself, which, which whom, which, with which you have a, a, an inner dialogue that helps you a lot in life. Well, Marcian Blevis, thank you very much for being with us on Radio Curious. Well, thank you, too. Dr. Marcianne Blevis is a psychiatrist and psychoanalyst and author of the book, Jealousy, True Stories of Love's Favorite Decoy. The book she recommends is Al Coffin de la Identité, translated by her as At the Frontier of Identity, by Michel de Muzan, M-U-Z-A-N. This book is currently only available in French. This interview was recorded in February of 2009. There are over 500 archive editions of Radio Curious on our website, www.radiocurious.org where they're free for you to stream, download, enjoy, and share.
We appreciate your curiosity, ideas, comments, and questions. You may reach us by email. Our address is curious at radiocurious.org or snail mail 280 North Oak Street, Ukiah, that's U-K-I-A-H, California, 95482, or by phone, 707-462-6541. You've been listening to Radio Curious. Christina Onestead is our associate producer, and I'm host and producer, Barry Vogel. Thank you for listening.